Awesome time this morning, man. That uh, I love that Shane Shane song. That's uh, it's one of my favorites. I hope that that is uh, also that the lyric that we just sang is becoming real to you. That legitimately you're you are wanting at least as Kobe prayed in his prayer. God help us to pray. Help that to be our prayer. I mean, it is it is a lyric that we just sang, but it doesn't mean that it's really our prayer. Um, and honestly, I, I know if you're like me, there's a very good chance that you're here, you didn't even engage in that lyric. That you, your mind wasn't set on that. You weren't thinking about that as you were singing it. But that's the goal, really, of what we're doing right now in our church is where we are looking at Jesus and asking God to do something inside of us that would make our worship real so, so that we wouldn't just keep going through the motions and, and just acting like a new church and some trendy kind of thing that's happening over here in West Alexandria, you know, that we're, we're proud of ourselves because we're gathered, you know, that's, and I hope you guys want more than that. I hope that, that really what we were singing this morning is actually what you want to be the passion of your heart if it's not at this point. And, and I know for most of us, it's really not. Probably for me this morning, it's not. I mean, it's the desire of my heart. I really want that to be, my, to be true. When I sing that, I want to yearn. I want to yearn for him, not for church and not for activity and not for religion and not for goodness that I can produce myself, but, but really longing for him. And, and we are beginning to discover him. And, and this series has been good for me, and I hope it's been good for you to just look at how, at encounters that Jesus had with real people like us and what that revealed about, about him. Um, man, this has been so refreshing for me. Uh, just to look at Christ and to evaluate him, not based on people's interpretation of what the Bible says about him. Y'all with me? But, but uh, on, on what, what do we see in the person of Christ? Clearly revealed in his relationship with people. Because we know for us, right? All of us can can talk about somebody, and we all have a, have a perception of somebody based on our own experiences with them. And we might explain, you know, uh, I use this all the time that people explain, you know, talk about Talitha as being sweet. Those of you that are laughing know her, all right? And she's precious and cute and awesome, and I love her. I don't want her any other way, but she is sweet is not one of the words we use to describe Talitha. And that she just don't know her very well. And she gets mad when you call her sweet, so don't act like she's going to be happy when you come and defend her. She wants you to think she's mean and scary. All right? Particularly. Yeah, right? Russ is scared of her, and that's why she likes him so much, you know? Uh, but the same thing's true about Christ. We need to know who he is. We need to know him by our own experiences. We need to know him and love him because we have discovered who he is. And today we're going to look at Christ and his interactions with a number of people in the crucifixion story. We're not going to put Jesus on the cross today. It's an unusual thing to, to, to not do on the Sunday before Easter. But we're looking at Jesus' encounters with people, so we are going to do that. We're going to look at some encounters that Jesus had with real live people and what they did with him 
and, and their responses to Jesus in his arrest and, and in his trial and in the moments prior to his crucifixion and then from the cross. And my prayer is this today. That first of all, I shared this in life group this past week. You know, we talked about demons last week because Jesus cast a demon out of a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. And we talked about how we have demons here in this church. They're here today. They're present. They, they have freedom to reign and move. Um, now, they don't have freedom to move in your life if you don't allow them to. But you've got to agree with, with God and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work today to keep you focused, for instance, because every person in this room will be a distraction to you. Uh, your own bladder will be a distraction to you at some point. Seems like right at the time I stand up to preach, everybody's bladder empties or needs to be emptied. <laughs> Have y'all noticed that? Can you scratch that off of the podcast? I mean, but it's, I don't know what's up. Either that or, you know, that's the time that everybody has to go to the bathroom. It's like, okay, <laughs> I should just sit here and wait till y'all come back when you walk in. You back? Okay, got that taken care of? All right, let's, you know. But, you know, really, seriously, it's comical, but it's not comical because right now so many of you are distracted. You're looking right at me, and you're distracted. Your mind is not yet focused on what the Lord is about to say. And so, you know, that's why my introductions last so long. It's because we need to get our minds fixed on what it is that God wants to say to us because there, there really is demonic forces at work in this place, and the easiest thing for them to do is to to get you distracted even by the scripture that you're reading up on the board. Somebody last week gave a testimony in a life group that they got distracted reading the Bible and missed the message. You know, they were thinking about a word, and what does it mean? And then they started researching it on their phone. And, it, you know, and it got them off, off target. Look, anything, everything, the most insignificant things, the things that you think will not get you distracted will be the thing that gets you distracted, the, 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 the glisten and glow that comes off of Bill's head. Uh, under that under that bulb of light above him that can be a distraction and it is right now see how everybody <laughs> anything everything it was so funny last week when asher stuck his head in the door right after i said distraction he went you know everybody went i lost the whole everybody was you know anything and so just recognize that. And I, I think it's so easy for us sometimes to get distracted even at the beauty of the message of who Christ is because we don't look at his encounters with people. We just think about what all we've learned in the past and what new uh, insight are we going to gain about the resurrection to our crucifixion today. So here's what I hope you will do at the end of this message today. I hope, first of all, right now you will get focused with me and that you'll do your job and Join the Holy Spirit who's already ready to empower you to hear a message and to be changed by it, uh, to, to, ha- to hear the words that I speak that are his and uh, ignore the words that are not his for you and that God would enlighten you today to some truth that's going to change your life because ultimately that's what we're asking God to do is to sanctify us by giving us a, a, a clearer picture, a purer picture, a more real picture of the truth about who he is. That's what we want. That's what will change you, ultimately. That's what will cause us to sing that song next Sunday with more passion. God, I want to yearn for you. Because the more we learn about God and the beauty of who he is, the more that, that becomes the passion of our heart. It's interesting today that, we are, that, that the cross is the passion of the Christ. You know, this is his passion. This is his passion just, uh, illustrated. And you're going to see today that the, that the cross is not an accident. It's not a, a sad story about a martyr who died for a cause. 
It is the purpose of God completed for our salvation. It is the plan of God before the foundation of the world that, that we would become holy and blameless in Christ Jesus, which required a sacrifice for our sins. So it's not some, some accident. And so we're going to look at it today and see how people look at the cross of Christ and was it really their passion. I'm going to move around the Gospels today. We're going to spend most of our time in the Gospel of Mark. But there, I want to look at certain people. And so we're looking at his encounters with people. And some of the other Gospels share the, the encounters that Jesus had during his arrest and trial uh, in, a, in a, a more specific way for different uh, characters that we're going to look at today. So let's dive in. I'm going to move as quickly as I can. But I want to make sure that we hear the, hear the word today and make uh, our points clearly so you can uh, take these home with you. So here we go. A lot of scripture today. Mark chapter 14, verses 43 to 50. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and, take him, and lead him away under guard. And when they came, he went up uh, to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by, we know this is Peter from another passage, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. So first of all, in this passage, I want to talk about Peter. We're going to come back to Peter in a minute. But I want to talk, to talk about the Peter we see in this passage because we know that Peter's the one that cut off the ear of the soldier. And so how is Peter responding to the, the passion of Christ? How is he responding to God's plan to fulfill uh, this, this prophecy that, and this, his purpose of redeeming mankind? How is Peter responding to it? He's responding to it like he doesn't know what's going on. You know why? He doesn't know what's going on. Peter is, thinks he's about to have a fight with a warrior king. That, that this is the time when Jesus is going to rise up and be that warrior, that Messiah that, that's going to lead them into battle. He's ready. And so he's ready to fight, and he pulls out his sword, and he, and he cuts off the ear of the servant. And Jesus takes the fight out of him. But the, the, the armed crowd also expected that they were going to see a powerful Christ. Why? Because they were sent. They were sent by... The, the scribes and Pharisees to arrest him. Everybody knew about Jesus' power. So when you go, make sure you bring some big clubs and a lot of you in a big crowd of people armed because all, you know, he's powerful. They thought he was going to fight too. Everybody went ready to fight, ready to, to win this cause for Christ. And yet Jesus takes the fight out of him. He, he restores the ear of the servant puts it back on, and tells Peter to put his sword up. And then he asks a great question of the, of the people who came to arrest him. I've been with you guys in the temple. You see me day to day in the temple. You hear me teaching. Why didn't you seize me there? And so he takes the fight out of them. It's like uh, they came expecting or acting like he was this robber, like he was this uh, this. This, uh, re- this rebel who was going to fight against the king. 
They came out like that. And Jesus took it right out of him. He said, let's go. Take the fight out. Peter, put your sword down. You guys, let's go. This is what I was meant to do. Jesus is accomplishing the Father's purpose. He's not doing something that was not planned. In Matthew's gospel, in, this, in, in, in the garden scene, this is what he re, uh, records. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 53 and 54. Jesus says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. And so we find Jesus with all the power possible to do exactly what they were fearing he would do, and he chooses not to. Why? Because his passion is to do the will of the Father. His passion is to bring, is to shed his blood and bring about the redemption of mankind. And so he's not fighting against their, their thoughts. He, is, he has come to, to bring life and to, and to redeem man. Now, what's the application for us? I don't know if this is where you want to be in this story, but some of you might be here. Some of you might be at a place where you, you are so excited about, about being the kamikaze uh, Christian, doing something great for God. Tell me about the hard thing, and I'll do that. Just give me something difficult to do because I want to be the super Christian. I want to get, you know, and we, we want to get our names up in lights by cutting off the ear of the soldiers. We're going to defend Christ, and we're going to fight for him, and we're going to offend the whole uh, community trying to stand up for Jesus. We're going to actually be going against the cause of Christ by trying to stand up and be strong. And some of you might be there today. That might be who you are. I know there have been times in my ministry, particularly in the ministry of evangelism, where we were going out to do, do evangelism rather than be evangelists. We were going to go do evangelism. And, and there were certain ones that would say, man, just tell me what door to go to. I'll go to anybody's door. I've been turned down by more people than any of you ever go see. And I'm thinking, is that a good thing? Is that good? I think it's cutting off the ear of the soldier when there's no fight. Jesus came to redeem man, and, and, it's, and it's his kindness that will lead us to repentance, right? And yet we're, we're out fighting this fight, trying to be somebody for Christ. I can just tell you this. You don't need to be somebody in order to be for Christ. If you think you've got to be somebody, you miss the whole point. And so Jesus calms that down, and he calms it down today. Just realize that. He wants to say to you, there is no fight. There is no battle. He already proved that to us last week. He's got total authority. He can call down angels to do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't need you to offend people in order to stand up for him. All right, so there's one. Peter and the crowd. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 to 65, moving on into the passage. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together, and Peter had followed them at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting on, with the guards and warming himself at the fire. All right, so just get that picture. Jesus, uh, Peter follows Jesus all the way into the courtyard. All right, at a distance, though. He's not wanting to be too close to all of what's going on because this is all a surprise to Peter. And so he's, he knows Jesus has actually been arrested, and he's given himself to that when he could have won that battle, hands down. But now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found what? None. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree, and they needed two or more witnesses. 
And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that it is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about their testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst of and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this, his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with the blows. I don't want to talk about the high priest and these scribes and Pharisees that were gathered. The high priest was seeking testimony, first of all, two witnesses against Jesus, two testimonies that would agree against Jesus, that he did something illegal. But Jesus put that to rest. His life testified to the truth. And even though they were seeking testimonies against him and seeking leaders that would step forward and say something against Christ that was consistent, they couldn't do it. I I hope you all are ready for this point. They couldn't find anybody to agree. All these leaders who were gathered together trying to get some people to come and give testimony against Christ. You know why? Because he was consistent in his lifestyle. Jesus never was offensive. He never did sin. He never did break the law. He was, always, he was perfect in every way. And so they couldn't get any testimonies against him. And so let's make that point first of all. How many people are there out there who are trying to make testimony against Christ and who he is? I'm not talking about against the church. You can find plenty of testimonies against the church. But who's out there giving a testimony against Christ and who he is and what he did? That has a leg to stand on. Christ is pure. Everything he did is perfect. It's easy to see. It's, it's beautiful to, when you look at the person of Christ. But here's what has happened. We also, within the context of the church, have gathered around us a bunch of people who say the things that our itching ears want to hear, and we have misdefined and redefined, in some ways, the culture's view of Christ. We've been gathering together, trying to get witnesses around us who will say things that are not true about Christ. And most of us in this room are, are finally getting free of all of that baggage that we've been carrying, that misinformation about Christ, that there, there are many testimonies of people who are, who are telling lies, which we'll talk about in a second, telling lies about who Christ is. And so we don't know him. In the church, we don't have any idea of who Christ is. And so we're on task as a church trying to figure out, based on who he was and how he lived his life, who he really is. So they're seeking leaders to agree, and Jesus tells the truth about who he is, finally. They ask him over and over again, tell us, man, are you the Christ? And then he tells the truth. And they say, what else do we need? He spoke in blasphemy. So he speaks the truth, and they say, what else do we need? Let's kill him. Thinking like, what? He just spoke the truth. He's the son of God, and and they're saying he spoke blasphemy. Now, here's here's where we are as a church, and here a lot of you are right now in in this moment of your life. You are discovering the truth about God, and there are voices out there 
that will say that what you are saying about Jesus is blasphemy. They will be saying that the thing that, that God has revealed to you about his son, these beautiful truths that we're encountering every Sunday that are, begin, that are changing who we are, and you share that with somebody out there and they say, that's not who Jesus is. Am I the only one experiencing that? Jesus is who he's been showing you he is. That is the truth. You know, he, he, is, ne- he is so consistent in the way he, d- he demonstrates himself and shows himself. And I hope you're experiencing him in those ways in your life. All these things we've been talking about that Jesus revealed about himself in his lifestyle, that's where truth is. But what does religion do? Religious leaders promote their agenda and call the truth about Jesus a lie. That's what they do. They promote their own agendas. I promoted my own agenda and called the truth about Jesus a lie. And I I will confess to you today, I I love Jesus and I couldn't give a hill of beans about religion anymore. I lost my religion, like my grandma used to say. You're going to make me lose my religion. Well, I did. I lost my, and I'm so thankful for it because I bought into a bunch of lies, uh, religious leaders who were promoting their own agendas, trying to make a name for themselves, build something so that people would be impressed with them. And, and, and I did it too, and I did it with the right intention in my mind, but my heart was divided. My passion was not for Christ. And Jesus tells us the truth about who he is, and we can see it clearly. And so the high priests have to come to to something to crucify him for. So they call it blasphemy when he speaks the truth. And then look at what happens after that. Under the prompting of the high priests, the religious people agree with the lies of the religious leaders. Listen to what he said. You know, they're all like, what? What did he say? That's blasphemy. Yeah, that's blasphemy. And all the people got on board with him, and then they got angrier and angrier. You know, he's taking away our, this is what was underneath it. He's taking away our authority. He's, he's been gain, gaining attention. Everybody loves him. He just healed a bunch of people this week. And, and everybody's talking about him. We've got to do something about this. And they're, you know, they're losing their popularity. And it's building up inside. And what can we do? What can we do? Yeah, blasphemy. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's go with that one. And then they start getting angrier and angrier. And, and their anger wells up. And they begin to to punch him and beat him and they blindfold him and they spit on him, which was all prophesied. And Jesus is just letting it happen because he's about his father's business. But isn't that the way we are too? Some of you just have been going, spent your whole life listening to what religious leaders are telling you. And you're rising up just like they are and you're mocking the truth about Christ. And you, if he was here today, this is what I thought. I had this thought this week. I'm going to give it to you because I thought it was a good one. I was thinking, you know, I, I was stuck in religion for so long. And, and if, if I were them in their religion of their day, I would have been also crucifying Christ. And, and here's the other thing. They were asking, you know, we, we started this study by uh, reading the testimony of, or the, the question of Philip where he said, to Jesus, show us the Father, and it will be enough. It will be enough. And Jesus says, how long are you going to be with me and you, don't, and you still don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. And so I'm thinking, in this day, think about this with me. They were, they were crucifying Christ in the name of the Father, when the fact is, if the Father would have come down, they would have crucified him. 
Isn't that true? He is an exact representation of the Father. They thought Jesus was different than the Father. And we are so guilty at times of thinking that what the Holy Spirit is doing in us through the Word of God and the truth of His Word, what He's teaching us about Himself is different, or the things that if somehow we get comfortable with all these lies about Jesus, even though the Bible clearly shows that He's something different. And the Holy Spirit is revealing that to us also, that He's, he's not the way that we've always believed He was. And we're, we're guilty of the same stuff. And so if, if we're here today and we would say, oh, I really don't like the Holy Spirit, but I really like Jesus. You know, we don't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit and what he's speaking to us and how he reveals truth to us. We don't want none of that stuff because that's scary stuff. Well, it'd be, if Jesus came, we would crucify him too. There's nothing the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives that he wouldn't be doing also that he didn't do when he was on the earth. So we need to find ourselves with them. But some of us right now are just listening to religious leaders, and we're not moving in the direction the Lord would have us move. All right, Mark 14, got to keep moving, 66 to 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are also a Nazarene, uh, the Naz- with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders said again to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are, you are Galilean. But he spoke and invoked a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter, an apostle, who knew Jesus best, denies him under pressure. Here's an apostle who spent three years with Jesus, was called from fishing and gave up his boats. He did so good for so long, and he denies Christ. And I hope you can find yourself in that part of the story, some of us. Man, what is it that's going to come about that Christ is going to do in you and in your life or want to do through your life that's going to cause you to deny him? What's going to cause you to lose this passion that you're gaining for Christ? Who is it that's going to come in and challenge you in a way that you're going to say, no, no, I'm not that guy that believes in Christ or that girl that believes in Christ that way. I don't don't believe that stuff, no. It'll probably be somebody theological is going to come in and challenge you and say, well, the Bible says blah, 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 and their interpretation is going to be way different. And you're going to say, oh, oh, yeah, but I don't believe what those crazy people believe. Look, get ready. It's coming. If it hadn't come to you, if you're not dealing with it right this moment, if somebody's not challenging you right this moment, uh, ask yourself the question, what is going to make you as a true believer in Christ and one that's already experienced him and continue to experience him, what's going to make you deny him? John chapter 18. Then they led him to, uh, led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate, isn't that crazy? Just that, I mean, I got to stop there. Isn't it crazy? They didn't want to defile themselves eating the Passover. So they didn't go to Pilate's house, and, they, and they're crucifying God. That's, that's us. <laughs> Let me not say them. That's crazy. 
So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Then the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own, na- your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting and, I, and, and that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So Pilate questioned him and heard the truth from Jesus. And his response shows that he's grappling now with the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus said he was a king. And, and, and uh, Pilate's not taking offense to that. Something's going on in Pilate's heart. And I want to point that out here. Jesus tells him that he's the Messiah and that the people who are of truth would listen to him. And Pilate finds no guilt. It's interesting. But as he begins to believe, here's Pilate hearing the testimony of Christ. And as he begins to believe, as he begins to ask his questions of Christ, then what happens? I believe he's almost converted. And he makes a bad decision. In Luke chapter 23, Luke tells us this. He says, when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. And so he questioned him at some length. But Jesus made no answer. And the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. And then arraying him in splendid clothing, sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. It's interesting. He makes a bad decision. He goes to the wrong place to get his, to, to uh, ask his, have his questions answered about whether this guy is guilty or not. He's almost at the point of believing, and Pilate sends him to Herod, an enemy of his. And listen, the enemy is all about that. I want to make sure you hear this clearly this morning. Some of you you today, you're close. Man, you're, you're close to believing. You know that God's been calling you, drawing you, and you're close to believing. I want to encourage you today, don't go to the wrong places to get your answers. Realize there's two powers at work right now in your life and around you. One power loves you and wants, to, wants you to be saved and to, to have eternal life and to give you an incredible life on this earth. One power wants to, to keep you from that. 
And, I, and time and time again, friends of mine who have, I believe God has been drawing close to him, and I see evidence of that, have gone to the wrong people and asked them, what do you think about Jesus? And what happens in Pilate's life happens in their life. And they lose that draw. And they respond in a negative way to it rather than receiving Christ as their Messiah. Receiving him as who he is and understanding the truth about him. It happens all the time. And it will happen to you because Satan hates God. And he's like a, a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's like a thief, according to John 10, 10, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I come that you might have life and have it to the full. Just realize we have an enemy that right now is working to deceive you and to talk you in to going to the wrong places for your information. I have lots of friends right now who are thinking people. They're real heady people. That, that, that They are so philosophical they'll never come to Christ unless he draws them and they go to the right people. You know, it's so, it's so crazy that the brain that God created becomes our biggest enemy in times like this. If you want information to distract you from what you're experiencing with God, there are plenty of people out there, and Satan will line them up for you and bring them into your life. And I would just encourage you today to, to not respond that way. Because Pilate did, and it was devastating for him. He asked the wrong person. He quit asking Jesus questions and quit trusting what he heard from Christ. And he gets some information from Pilate. And then what happens? They become friends. They used to be enemies. Now they're friends. Timothy tells us the time is coming when men will not put up with sound doctrine, but rather will gather around them preachers who say the things or teachers who say the things their itching ears want to hear. And they'll turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That is the indictment on the church today. That's an indictment on my life and what I did. Turn my ears away from the truth. Gather around me some people who believe the way I believe. And, and then we turn away from truth. And we're just as guilty as Pilate is of going to the wrong places to find out truth. Jesus is the truth. So in chapter 23 of Luke, again, in verse 13, Pilate then called them together, the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. So here he is. He's trying to do two things at one time. I'm going to punish him and release him. I didn't find any guilt in him. He's trying to receive Christ and also please the world. He's trying to have Jesus and wash his hands of his guilt and also give the people what they're asking for. Now, how many of you are going to respond to the, to the crucifixion of Christ that way? How many of you are going to respond to him that way today? That you want Jesus, yeah, but you also want what everybody else has as well. You want to believe in Jesus, but you also, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I want to add to the truth of Christ and, and, and the simplicity of the gospel, I want to add some other things to that because I have a lot of friends that think that you're supposed to have all that too. Or I want to keep my lifestyle and also add, like we talked about before, add Jesus to my trophy case. That doesn't happen. You can't do that. He tried to receive Christ and also please the crowd. And so he, this is what he does. 
He's trying to think, how can I do this? How can I please the crowd and also not be guilty of, of the crucifixion of Christ? A not guilty man. Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 14. This is what he does next. He says, now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison he, uh, who had committed murder in the insurrection, this is a murderer, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of Jews? For he perceived that it was out of the envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. See, the, even Pilate knew what was up. It was out of envy that these guys had brought him in there. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd because they knew this was a battle between the crowd and, and Pilate's response to the crowd and Pilate's desire to keep Jesus alive. So they stir up the crowd and have him to release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then, then what shall I do with the man that you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out the more, crucify him. And what I want to show in this picture just real quickly is Barabbas. Barabbas. Barabbas got the benefit without the commitment. Barabbas, his response to this whole scene is just to enjoy the benefit of what Christ did without any kind of commitment to Christ. And some of us are at that place. And this is just, let's just deal, let's deal honestly with where we are in regard to the cross today. This is where some of us are. We want all the benefits of Christ, but we don't want Christ. We, we want the status. We want the friendships. We want the fellowship. We want whatever else we get within the context of, of group and these wonderful people that you're sitting around today. We want all of that. We want the benefit, but we don't want the commitment. And I would say a proper response if that describes you today is to make your commitment to Christ. Don't just receive the side benefits because these are not eternal for you. If you haven't made a commitment to Christ, given him your life, this is not eternal for you. This is momentary. But there were some, and Barabbas is a good example of that. He got freedom, but he didn't have a commitment. And then verse 15, it says, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So here's the end of Pilate's story and his relationship to Jesus at the time of his crucifixion and arrest. Here's what he does. Pilate takes Jesus in. He questions him. Good job. Ask the right questions. Find out who he is. He hears what, who he is. He understands it. He is on the verge of believing. He goes to Herod. He loses that belief. He gets to be friends with a non-believer who says, no, that's a bunch of uh, malarkey. Don't believe it. It's not true. And, and he still struggling with that, tries to please the crowd and still hold on to the truth about Christ that he's discovered. And so he tells the people, Look, let's just beat him. So he beats him, and that's not enough. And he says, oh, well, what about, remember, we, we let somebody go during this time. How about we let Jesus go? No, we want him crucified. And finally, the sad truth of Pilate's life is he makes a decision. And he makes it wishing to satisfy the crowd. I mean, the Bible's so clear about there's two, two roads. Matthew chapter 14, 
There's a, there's a broad road that leads to destruction. The Bible says, and many are going there. You don't, it's not hard to find people who will not believe in Jesus. It's not hard to find somebody who will oppose what the message that I'm giving to you today about, about Christ. But the way is, is narrow and the gate is small that leads to life and few are those that find it. If you're going to find Christ, if you're going to put your faith in him, you're going to have to go against the flow of humanity that is constantly just moving forward in the way of the crowd. And so maybe today you're, you're that person. I just want to encourage you, please, today, consider Christ. Reconsider Christ. And know that he's not what we presented him to be as the church for so many years. He is not that. We're trying to find out who he really is. And the scripture's being very clear about that. And we're discovering more of him every day in the word of God. But he is not who you've probably seen him to be out there. Because we've done a bad job of presenting him. So Pilate, seeing verse, uh, chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 24. So Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. And he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released to them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So here's what he's doing. He wants to act like he's innocent. He, he, okay, I'm innocent. He He's still trying to grapple with this. He said he makes his decision, and he's still trying to appease Jesus somehow just by saying, oh, I'm, I'm not guilty of this. Look, there's a line drawn in the sand, okay? And there's a moment for every person in here where you're going to have to make a decision about Christ. He said, I don't have to make a decision. Yes, you do. You've got to make it. And, and to not make a decision isn't making a decision. And there is a time of reckoning for all of us. You know, there's a time when, when life ends for us. I heard a preacher this morning talking to one of my buddies who's not a believer uh, over coffee. And he was sharing that with him because he almost died a few, uh, about a year ago, uh, should have died. And he was just telling him, look, there's a time when life is going to end. And, and that's reality. And so you, you can't fool God by saying, but I see I wash my hands of it. If you've not made your decision, then I encourage you, today is the day of salvation. There's no need for you to wait. If the Holy Spirit's been drawing you, you understand the truth of what Christ has done for you, that his blood was shed to wash your sins away and make you right so you could be in a relationship with God, to take away your sins and also to give you his righteousness so that in God's eyes you are perfect and able to be in communication and able to be in relationship with him. And that when you die, you also live, spend eternity in heaven and in in bliss with God if, if you if you know that then let the line be drawn today and the scripture says today is the day of salvation so let today be your day now finally Luke 23 verses 29 uh, 39 to 43 one of the criminals who were hanging railed to him so they crucified Christ we're not again we're not telling the whole story today I'm sure you can find that in plenty, plenty of places. If you haven't seen, seen the passion of Christ, it's a great place to see the reality of the crucifixion of Christ. But they crucify him. He turns them over to be crucified, and they crucify Christ. They hang him. While he's on the cross, one of the criminals who were hanging, who, hang, who, uh, who were hanged, railed at him, saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right. And this is going to sound so weird on Easter Sunday. But first of all, first thief, what did he want? He wanted what, what Barabbas got. Just, look, I want you, Jesus, to, uh, in a mocking way, but look, if you really are God, then do something for me. Right? Get us off of this, out of this situation. Some of you today have spent this week saying to God, if you want me to follow you, do something for me. If you want me to believe in you, do something for me. And, and, and our response to Christ during his crucifixion is the same as this thief. Do something for me. And, and until your heart gets changed and you realize who he is and that, that you need to and recognize the beauty of who he is and you respond to him by giving your heart to Christ, you're missing the point. And so many churches and, and Christians have reduced God to this cosmic bellhop who just constantly is doing what we want him to do, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is just telling God to do something that we want him to do for us. It's not a relationship with a person. So if that's you today, I hope you'll respond the right way. And the right way of all the ways we've talked about today is not the way of a disciple, of the disciple. Peter, it's not the way of those in, in, in uh, religious authority, the priests, chief priests and scribes. The, the, the proper response to Jesus at his crucifixion is not the response of the governor and those in uh, political authority. And it's not that first thief who is asking for Something from God? The best response and where we need to find ourselves today is hanging next to Jesus. Hanging on his right side. We need to find ourselves as the thief on the cross. It's not a place we want to be. But that's the perfect place to be if you want to understand Easter and the power of who Christ is and and how to, how to have a relationship with him, the beauty of who Jesus is is described and seen by a thief hanging on a cross. And why is that? First of all, he's at the end of himself. <laughs> right? Literally. Life's about to end for him. He has nothing else he can draw on. It's not like he can say, well, I'm, you know, I, I accept Jesus, but, you know, I got a lot of... A life left to live. I've got a lot of money in the bank. I've got a lot of stuff I like to do. Hey, there's no excuses now. So he's at the end of himself. Can I make a recommendation to us? Let's be the thief on the cross. Let's get to the end of ourselves. You know, today we prayed it, God. 
I want to yearn for you. You, you know where the yearning is going to come from? It's going to come when, the, when you are emptying yourself of yourself and you let the Holy Spirit fill you with God's agenda and God's plan and who he is and let God reveal himself to you. Get to the end of yourself. Uh, you know, some of you are fighting that with everything that you have. Some of you aren't even hearing it. But, you know, we need to get to the end of ourselves. That's a proper response to the, to the crucifixion of Christ. Get to the end of yourself. Number two, recognize your own sinfulness. Some of you are too good. You're good people. You've been doing a lot of good for a lot of years. That was my problem. I was doing a lot of good. I was a religious person. I could look around and say, see what I do? This thief on the cross says to the other thief, you need to be quiet. We're the ones that deserve this. We deserve to be on the cross. And if you can't find yourself with that testimony today, then, then I don't believe you're ready. To, I don't believe you've ever come into contact with Christ. In First John, John tells us in, in chapter 4 that if you say you have not sinned, then you make God a liar. And his love is not in you. you. You need to recognize that you deserve to be on the cross, that you are the one who sinned. You're the one that did wrong, not Jesus. The, the perfect one is over here dying for us. And this thief realizes that. And he says, I deserve to be on the cross. And, and we need to recognize that. That, is a, that simple message is a message of the gospel. It's recognizing our sinfulness, that we are children of Adam, that we've received and inherited a, a, a lostness because of our sin and a separation from God. Romans 5.12 says that by one man sin entered into the world and death passed to all men for all have sinned. And we are all sinners. So embrace your cross. Embrace being on the cross next to Jesus. Find yourself in the testimony of the thief and say, you know, I, I'm done with life and, and I know that I'm a sinner. But then also go to the next testimony, okay? And, and it's this testimony where he says, he's done nothing wrong. Recognize that Jesus is perfect. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. That everything he said about himself is true. And his life is a perfect testimony of a, of a life lived, lived in absolute surrender to and in consistency with the will of the Father. Never sinned. Recognize who Jesus is, God's Son. Recognize that God became man and lived a perfect life. Recognize that. And then put your trust in him, number four. This thief says, take me into paradise with you. You remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. This man puts his faith in Jesus. He says, what was the faith statement? He says, you're going into your kingdom. I know that. You're the son of God. You're the king of kings. You are what the sign says. You're the king of kings, and I testify to that. And so take me with you. I want to go. Hanging on a cross, em empty of every other possibility, saying to Jesus, I want to go with you into your kingdom. I want to be a servant of yours. Uh, let, let me come in with you. And you need, to, you need to come to that point. Again, the line is drawn in the sand. He invites you to make a decision to receive him and to receive his gift, of, this free gift of salvation. Guys, look, how do we know that gift is free? Did, did, that, did that thief live another day? No. 
Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Did that thief uh, ask him, hey, could you, would you mind getting me down from the cross for a little while because i got to go to Sunday school. I've got to hurry up and make a couple of synagogue services. And, you know, I've got to confess my sins to somebody. And I've got to get any list of things. I've got to have a, a fun worship service and led by a guy with a guitar. Somewhere around here, there's somebody. No, he didn't do anything. What a beautiful picture, guys. It's better than what we see in Peter, who followed Jesus for three years and denies him. Is a thief on a cross at the end of himself who's not struggling with all the things that Peter's struggling with and, and receives the free gift of salvation from the Messiah hanging next to him. The blood that he sees flowing down the cross is going to remove his sins, and he trusts in that and that alone. Y'all with me? There is no works. Jesus didn't say, well, if you could get down here and get me off of this cross. No, the thief understood something that some of us, I hope we'll understand before we die, but some of us still don't understand we've been in the church forever. Let's, Let's find ourselves hanging next to Christ. Let's find ourselves in the condition of this thief today. If we want to find ourselves in the story, the most beautiful picture of who Jesus is, I think in this story, is the picture that he, displays as he has this encounter, this brief encounter, this life-changing encounter, and displays for us and defines for us at his death the most beautiful picture of what salvation is, not based on works, not based on goodness. He took a thief and brought him into the kingdom of God as his servant, and he did nothing to deserve it. Let that sink in this week. Man, as you think about the cross of Christ, think of him hanging next to you and find yourself void of any possibility of impressing him. Don't be like the thief on the other side. Don't be like any of these people in the story. Let's just, let's just ask God to help us to see ourselves hanging next to Christ, finding ourselves, dying with him, that we might live with him. And we'll live with him next week. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being obedient and going to the cross for us. Thank you that it's nothing that we did that could earn salvation, but giving us the free gift of sanctification, the free gift of redemption through your blood for washing us clean and Fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah that said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned our own way, but God laid on you the iniquity of us all. Thank you for the testimony that we have today of Paul that says that God made you to become sin for us, that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank you that we can find ourselves hanging next to you today. That the best place for us is not among the religious elite or among those in political authority or even in those who are struggling, uh, Lord, to do good things for you and be somebody in the church. But, Father, that we can find ourselves with nothing to offer and that's the right place to be. And we, we can be good at that. That's an easy yoke. Help us to take that on this week. As we think about the cross, help us to remember ourselves hanging next to you. 
and to, to admit that we're sinners and we're in need of you. And I pray for those today, God, who have felt your spirit's prompting to respond to the, the beauty of the cross and the message of the cross. And I pray right now that as we worship, that they will just say a simple prayer. Lord, I, I want to go with you. I know what you've done for me and I receive the gift. Lord, change hearts this morning. Help people to step across the line. 